October 16th, 2023, we're in Masechet Besa and Daf Kafzain Amud Aleph. We're going to go back to six lines down in the wide lines, uh, several words onto the line where the Gemara says, May have Allah, which is translated probably best as, What's the halacha? What did they have on this? What is the ter- determination, ultimately speaking, about whether Ro'in Mumin Biyom Tob or not? Are you allowed to have a Mumhe, a person who's proficient in the laws of? Mum kavua, mum over, the blemishes on an animal with regards to a bechor, can they check it on Yom Tov or not? As Rashi told us at the beginning of the sugya, the issue at stake is uh, whether it's going to be considered uh, to be like judgment, like dan din biyom tov, which is rabbinically prohibited, or if it's going to be nir akimitakin, it appears as if it's fixing. In either one of those interpretations, it's rabbinically prohibited, according to one opinion in our Mishnah, bimeir, to check the mumin, the blemishes of a bechor on Yom Tov. Rabbi Yehuda disagreed. He didn't compare it to such. And in turn, the Gemara is questioning, May have Allah. Mum or fair, If it's a mum or it's not considered a mum for a bechor, and in turn, you're not allowed to slaughter it. Right. Correct. We're determining on Yom Tov whether it has a mum over or a mum kavua. So are you allowed to do so? Amar Rav Yosef Tashema. Rav Yosef suggested it's not just the opinion of Rabbi Meir in our Mishnah. It's rather Tashema de Talya Be'ashle Rav Reve. This matter is uh, hanging by strong ropes. It's a very tight-knit issue with regards to saying that it's certainly prohibited. The stringent <coughs> opinion is the strong opinion. De Amar Bishimon ben Pazi, Amar Bioshua ben Levi, Amar Biyose ben Shaul, Amar Bi Mishum Kihila Kadisha de Birushalayim. Ultimately speaking, the statement in the name of, as we discussed, this Kihila Kadisha de Birushalayim, this uh, holy congregation of Birushalayim, against specifically one or two opinions are generally associated with that group of people. Rabbi Shimon ve'chaverav Ameru, this Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya, and his friends stated, Halakha ke Rabbi Meir. The Halakha follows the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Now Rabbi Shimon again is the opinion in our Mishnah who forbade Re'iyat Mumin biyom Tob. But the statement over here that they're quoting Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya in the name of Rabbi Meir, who we don't know yet, is difficult in and of itself, says the Gemara Ameru, question mark, How's it possible that they were quoting the younger Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya, the Kihila Kadisha de Birushalayim, were in the name in turn of, or following the opinion of, uh, Rabbi Meir, it doesn't make sense because they were the earlier generation. The earlier generation, it stands to reason, wouldn't be quoting the younger generation as determining the law. The younger generation followed the earlier generation. Ela rather said the Gemara, Bishitat Rabbi Meir Amaruha. They rather, and the way this is put together, instead goes like this. Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya, the opinion in our Mishnah, who forbade Re'iyat Mumin biyom Tob, accords with, he goes with the opinion of Rabbi Meir. We're going to see who that Rabbi Meir is in just a moment. But that piecing it all together already at the onset goes like this. The opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya and Rabbi Meir are our strong knot, our strong ropes, our Ashle Rav Reveh. Apparently, we're suggesting at this point that both of those two opinions would say you're not allowed to check the blemishes of the animal of the Bechor on Yom Tov. 
If that's the case, two strong opinions would be Meir, to be Shimon, uh, we're going to say it's forbidden. Ultimately speaking, as I think we're already familiar, we began to discuss this last time, the Gemara will say to be Meir is not, you can't prove from his opinion that he accords with Rabbi Shimon and the matter is going to fall away in terms of a strong and solid proof. But that's the Gemara's plan. The plan is that Riyat Mumin Biyom Tob will be Asur because not only is it Rabbi Shimon in our Mishnah, it's that we're going to say that it's contingent upon the opinion of Rabbi Meir as well. Who's Rabbi Meir? Ditran, after all, we learned in the Mishnah from Masechet Bechorot, the following. If a person on Yom Tob uh, slaughtered the Bechor, not on Yom Tob, if a person slaughtered a Bechor at any time during the year and only afterwards showed its blemish that he found on it to the Mumcheh. Now it was supposed to be checked beforehand. You went ahead and you slaughtered it without checking it beforehand when it could have and should have been beforehand. What's the halachar biuda matir? Biuda says after the fact it's permitted. As long as the mumchet checked the animal, determined that it has a mum kavua, it's now permitted for consumption. Now that's the halakha with regards to the bechor. Rabbi Meir Amar, Rabbi Meir alternatively contrasts with this opinion and says, Since it was slaughtered without first showing it to a mumche, to the person who's proficient in these laws, it's asur. The Gemara's assumption and understanding in turn goes like this. What are they disagreeing about? What's the debate all about? The suggestion will be the debate is about how significant is that checking? It certainly needs to be done. You need to determine whether this Bechor has a mum or not, but does it need to be done beforehand or even afterwards? If it's even afterwards, it just needs to be checked. It's no different than a kosher animal. You need to determine that it truly is kosher or not. That's just a checking to verify facts. We'll call that a gilui milta alma. You're just revealing the reality. If alternatively the, re- the situation is such that it needed to be checked beforehand, that's a pesak din. That's a tikkun. That's a fixing. Yeah. That's where that's where we're made. Oh, is the fear that they're going to cause the blemish? You're saying? I kill it and then I call the expert. Oh, look, it was missing an eye the whole time. There might, you could cause it beforehand as well, says Nathan. Why would you have more of a fear afterwards? We will have a general fear of you cause the blemish, and we're going to, we'll see it in our Gemara. They quiz, they interview, they interrogate the person as he brings it to them. I don't know if before or after is going to shift that. But ultimately speaking, at this point at least, the Gemara's understanding is this shows according to Rabbi Meir, that the checking of the animal is, in these words, it's a qualification. Nice. I was going to say Psak Din. Qualification, much better. Qualification means something significant. It means you can't do that on Yom Tov. That would accord with Rabbi Shimon and our Mishnah who says, you're not allowed to check it on Yom Tov. Over here, we're saying you need to check it beforehand. If you don't, it's disqualified. That's a significant statement and a significant determination. Alma, it's clear, says the Gemara, in the Gemara's words, Kasa the opinion of Rabbi Meir, again, in contrast to Rabbi Huda, When we talk about seeing, checking the Bechor for its blemishes, it's qualitatively different than checking the Terefa. Terefa means you're checking the animal to determine whether it has an illness, an ailment with, from which it would die. That always needs to be done. However, Riyat Bechor Mehayim. Clearly, according to the Bimeir, 
checking the Bechor, the firstborn, must be done from life, in the lifetime of the animal. Why? Qualification. Uh, that's in contrast to checking it, whether it has any ailments or ailments. That could be done afterwards. You don't need to qualify it in order to slaughter it. That's not considered a pisak din. That's not de- it's considered something which would be prohibited even rabbinically on Yom Tov. Uminah. And we can derive from that logically, you can check the terefa after the slaughtering to determine that it doesn't have any of those problematic internal issues. In contrast to, and here's the key words, the seeing and checking of the Bechor must be done perforce, and if it's not, it's inappropriate and wrong from Erev Yom Tov. We then have arrived at our opinion of Rabbi Meir. So it means that when we piece the opinions together, both Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Meir, as the Gemara stands right now, would forbid, would forbid, would say it's prohibited to check Mumin Biyom Tov. We had a Mahlokit in the Mishnah, we had a conversation about it in the Gemara, we had a back and forth with regards to what was done. We had Rabbi Udan Nisi'ah wanting different rabbis to check his Bechor and determinations and discussions about who we follow. It seems we finally arrived at proof that the major opinions, the Ashler of Reveh, would say it's prohibited. Says the Gemara Amale Abaye. Abaye responded to Rav Yosef. If you recall, Rav Yosef is the one who said, Oh, this matter? It's dependent upon its Talyah. It's, it's hanging by Ashler Rav Reveh. It's a real stringent issue. The great rabbi said it's Asur. Amale Abaye says, Abaye, I think you might have a mistake over here. Rabbi Meir never meant per se that the reason you can't check the animal afterwards is because it's a qualification. That's not what he meant. He rather meant that I want to be super careful, I want to make certain, rabbis speaking, that every person checks the animal. If we permit checking the animal afterwards, there's a slippery slope to be had over here. People will forget to get it checked at all. People will check it sometimes, and it'll be in a state of being that it developed a blemish after death, which you weren't able to determine. Keep in mind, certain things develop on any body, certainly an animal's body, after their death. After the death, there's a deterioration. If you look at it, you won't be able to discern, was this during lifetime or after lifetime? So certain blemishes were familiar. We know that does develop after life, and we're not going to consider it a blemish. But there'll be mistakes that will be made in turn. We'll assume that if there are certain blemishes which are relevant and apparent during the lifetime, why don't I just check it afterwards and I'll forget and I'll accept the other type of blemish? In other words, in one word, it's a gezera. The Gemara will, Abaye will suggest that Rabbi Meir never meant Medina, never meant Me'ikar Hadin from the letter of the law that you're not allowed to check it afterwards. He meant it as a gezerah because of this slippery slope of sorts. Not so much because, Jeffrey, you're going to cause the blemish, but alternatively because you're not going to know how to check it properly. Amale abaye atu hatam. Do you mean to tell me hatam means there? Bero'e mumin pinige. They're disputing, they're split, Rabbi Me'i and Rabbi Yehuda, on the issue of ro'in mumin, of checking the uh, blemishes. Biknasa plige. 
Kenas means a penalty. There are many penalties in halakha. And this is another one. Says Rabbi Meir, they penalize the person for not checking it before. And as we mentioned and discussed a second ago, Rabbi Yehuda says, not so. How so? After all, we have this statement in the name of Rabbi Yohanan. When it comes to dukin sheba'ayin, which means to say fissures of some sort, cracks, which are in the eyelids of the animal, everybody, both Rabbi Meir and even Rabbi Uda, agree that after death, that won't qualify the animal as edible. Why not? Because apparently those fissures in the eyelid, those cracks in the eyelid, develop after death. And even in turn, even Rabbi Uda says, that's not going to be a source. You're not going to be able to point to that and say, there was a mum kavua in this animal. Why not? This is prone to happen after you kill an animal. That's what happens to their eyelids. You won't be able to. The question is, mishum de mishtanin, because what happens is it changes. You look at the animal after the death, so ooh, it has a mum kavua. It only has that mum kavua after death. As a result, even Rabbi Uda says that doesn't count. The dispute between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Uda, again, about whether in general I can check after death on the animal. It's not on the developed mumin after death. On the straight up bodily ones. For example, uh, it's missing an eye. For example, it's missing an arm. For example, it has a cut off ear or something of that sort. And maybe that should be permitted. That doesn't just happen after death. The reason Rabbi Meir says you're not allowed to after death even check and determine and decide this is a Baal Mum, this is a blemished animal when it's missing the ear, the eye, the leg is because we have a Gezera. If we permit doing that, will in turn permit uh, checking the uh, fissures and the cracks in the eye, which develops after death, which isn't a proof that it was blemished from life. alternatively says, come on, who's making that mistake? A cut on the ear is very different than a crack inside the eyelid, than some sort of internal or close to internal fissure, an issue with regard to the animal. That is, the Gemara suggests Abaye now as a deflection. That's the Mahloket. Again, to bring you through the Shaklavatariya very quickly, the Gemara said, The Gemara wanted to know what's the halakha, are you able to be ro'itin mumin biyom tob or not? We know it's a mahluk in our Mishnah, Bishimon and Bihuda. The Gemara says, well, that's, uh, says Rav Yosef, Talya be'ashle Rav Reveh. I can tell you that's a matter which several strong opinions say is Asur. One opinion, Bishimon, we know from our Mishnah, Rabbi Meir as well. Rabbi Meir, whose opinion is, after the animal slaughtered, you can't check it, it must be because it's a qualification. The checking is significant and in turn would be rabbinically prohibited on Yom Tob. I got my two opinions, says Abaye. That's not what he meant. That wasn't the intent of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir only meant, his only intent in saying that you can't check it after the slaughtering on Yom Tov, it's a gezerah. The fear is if we allow for you to check it afterwards, you'll check even blemishes which develop after death, which everyone agrees, obviously, is not a sign that it's a Baal Mum. It's a rabbinic issue. It's not, a, it's not an essential issue. Go ahead.
So I think what Charles is doing is he's being medayek in the words of Rabbi Meir further. Rabbi Meir's words are very clear. It says Rabbi Meir in, in his statement, Rabbi Meir says, Ho'il, since since it was already slaughtered without showing it, therefore it's Asur. It sounds like since you put yourself in this situation, therefore I'm forbidding it. In other words, it's a bidi'avad circumstance where the hachamim look at this. The Gemara will make this to you in a minute, if that's what you mean. The Gemara will say, if Rabbi Meir held that this is a qualification issue and you missed your opportunity to do it, and it's really not even bidi'avad, okay, Charles, oh, so then he should have said, Asur. I should have said, Rabbi Meir says Asur. Instead, Rabbi Meir provides the reasoning. He says, since you already slaughtered it, and now you're coming to check it, therefore it's Asur. It's not that in essence this is a problem. It's that since you're already in the Bidi'avad situation, Charles, the rabbis say, uh, we're drawing the line over here. Amar of Nachman by Yitzhak, that's the line over here in the Gemara. Matnitin, that Mishnah, our Mishnah, in Masech Bechorot, Nameh as well, Dayeka is Miduyak. If you read it carefully, you can find in between the words, and with those words, proof for the fact that the Bimeir's opinion is that this is not an essential issue, but rather a rabbinic safeguard. How so? De katane. After all, we learned in the Mishnah, quote, Rabbi Meir Omer. Now, if Rabbi Meir maintained that you're not allowed to do so, it should say, Rabbi Meir Oser. Rabbi Meir says, it's forbidden. That's it. Chalash. Shalom al Yisrael. Instead, he has extra words. Ho'il, since. Vinishat, it was slaughtered. Shelo al without a proficient person. Asur. Uh, therefore, it's forbidden. If it's a clear kavua without re'iyah, you still need a re'iyah mumheh. You need a re'iyah mumheh. You still need the mumheh. The question is, how essential is the re'iyah mumheh? You need to have that checked. You do. If it's not considered a qualification, maybe that's also a gezerah. Maybe it's a gezerah as well. So to, to Eli and Nathan's point, maybe the, I, I'm not 100% certain. No, it's their, they're asking if it's missing its leg. Uh, when do you need a mumchet? But you do need a mumchet. A broken leg. So that, that must be as well. I, I'm, I'm suggesting. I'm not 100% certain. That's a gezerah as well. If we allow, maybe that's rabbinic in nature. If we allow for you to make that determination, you and I don't, uh, not you, me, who doesn't know the laws all that well, will make decisions in more uh, small and, uh, and, and nuanced cases as well. Shema' mina kenasahu dekakanis. The Gemara is ultimately speaking. No, quite the opposite. We thought that mum was more than gilui milta. We're suggesting not necessarily. We're suggesting that Ri'iyat Mum might just be according to Rabbi Meir Gilui Milta. Then how come he can't check it afterwards? Kenas. Right? Do you follow? In other words, we thought. So the Gemara. Gilui Milta are my words. I, it means it's just revealing the reality. So I'm just showing you what it is. That's why I need to have it checked. Or alternatively, in your words, qualification. I'm determining. Those are major differences. Do you need the stamp? Or do you need it just, uh, you need to know the reality. Is the stamp essential in and of itself of the mumhe or not? That's really the question over here. So says the Gemara, Shema'amina kenasahu de kakanis, Shema'amina, we can 
derive from a careful reading, from a proper understanding, that there's no proof on this matter. So lest you think we're really going to leave it hanging, the Gemara has one or two small vignettes again. It says the Gemara, Ameh Vardina'ah. There was an individual, his name was Ameh. Why was he known as Vardina'ah? She says either he was very good looking, he looked like a verid, like a rose, or alternatively, he came from a place called Vardana. And Rashi explains from elsewhere, and they were very stingy there. Okay, regardless, that was what he was known as. He was the person who checked the Bechor animals of the Nasi's household. Nasi was a very important uh, leadership position, and he was a position in that household where uh, every time there was a newborn animal from the Beit Nasi, he would check it and determine, is this a Baalmum or is it not? Uh, on Yom Tob, he would not uh, he would not check. He wasn't willing to check the bechor, uh, the Beit Hanasi again, the important prince-like uh, position that they had in the exile for many years. They brought an animal to him on Yom Tov, or they knew his principle. He doesn't check. They came and went and told Rabbi Ameh, Did you know Rabbi Ameh? that this individual, this Ame Vardina'a, he won't check Mumin on Yom Tov. Amar lehu shapirka avid. He says, uh, he's doing the right thing. As you come and you tattle on me, you know what my wife does? My wife is so stringent, she does this. I said, she's, she does the right thing. He said, you know what that rabbi said? He said, this is Asur. I said, he's right. Why, why, why are you complaining to me? Says the Gemara Ini, is that really so? The Gemara expresses, Didn't Rabbi Ameh himself check Bechor on Yom Tov? So you're playing with me, Rabbi Ameh. And what type of statement is that? We came to you, we tattled on Ameh Verdina'a. We were complaining he won't see our Bechor on Yom Tov. And your statement is, he's doing the right thing. But you yourself do check. Why are you saying he's doing the right thing? Answers the Gemara, Rabbi Ameh ki When Rabbi Ameh would see, when he would check the Bechor, you didn't have all the details. You guys watched Rabbi Ameh and you saw him checking Bechor on Yom Tov. You didn't know, in truth, me'etmol hava hazeh. He really checked the Bechor from before Yom Tov. Ubi Yom Tov, shiyule kamishayel. He was only on Yom Tov asking questions. What sort of questions? We're going to explain in just a moment. But again, just to put it together, so we're uncertain. Halakha l'ma'aseh. Ro'in mu'min biyom tob or not? Ameh the ro'eh bechor of the Beit Tanasi. Absolutely not. Rabbi Ameh, how could he do that? It's terrible. I think he's doing the right thing. Rabbi Ameh, but we know you check. You don't understand, gentlemen. I check, but only when I checked before Yom Tov. Then why are they coming to you on Yom Tov? We saw you looking. I ask questions on Yom Tov. What sort of questions? Why do you need to wait until Yom Tov? Says Rashi, he didn't always do this. Sometimes he was busy on Erev Yom Tov. Many of us are busy on Erev Yom Tov. Rabbi Amin, no different. They would come and show him the animal. He would look, glance at the animal, take a good look at it, and then send the person home. He didn't have time for interrogation. There may have been many people even lined up to ask him many questions. Rabbi Ameh, I'm reading from Rashi, once Rabbi Ameh looked at the mumin on the animal, he would say to the person, uh, leave now. Come back tomorrow. And then the next day he'd ask him questions. 
How did this moon come to the animal? That's a very significant question. So he determined before Yom Tov whether it was a Baal Mum or not. On Yom Tov, he would ask the question as to how that arrived. Because as Jeffrey said earlier, you can't cause it. What's that? He made the determination. The determination apparently, apparently what the Gemara is suggesting over here, the determination of it being a Baal Mum was made beforehand. It's hinging on a detail as to how that happened. But that decision was made already. So even if I'm accepting, you're right, it's a Hidush. Even if I'm accepting that Riyat Mum is a Pesach Din, so to speak, is a qualification, nonetheless, that qualification was done beforehand with a, so to speak, hinging issue, contingent issue of how did this happen? Makes sense. He checked it for the most part three. And then Right. That's that's a hundred percent true. He never. He, he didn't tell them before Yom Tov whether it was good or not. So that in turn is what Nathan's bothered by. If he didn't tell them whether it was good or not, he's telling them on Yom Tov. But he made his decision before Yom Tov that it was good. He just now needs to qualify. He just now needs to move away some of these details. And as a result, the questions he saved for afterwards. But the real decision, which by the I understand where I understand Nathan is, is, is going to say something like this. If the whole issue here is potentially mitakin, nirake mitakin, or dan din dinin biyom tov, so ultimately speaking, he is doing that on yom tov. By asking the questions on yom tov, that's effectively what he's doing. The Gemara is fine slicing this. The Gemara is suggesting, that's right, the Gemara is suggesting that the real din was before yom tov. He decided this on Yom Tov. He just needed to find out some details, but the dean was already determined. I already wrote it on the piece of paper. I sealed it until I got the answer, then I opened the piece of paper. But I want you to be able to eat it on Yom Tov. Says the Gemara, so Rabbi Ameh, in truth, he really checked it. He saw it before Yom Tov. He would ask them, what was the exact story? How did it develop this blemish? I see it's got quite a, quite a mark on it. How'd that happen? The Gemara gives an example of this. Just like this, there was a man. He brought an animal in front of Rava. He brought it right before Yom Tov. He brought it in the evening, on the day, right before Yom Tov. So he brings in the morning, the day, right before Yom Tov. Rava, Rava was sitting and he was cleaning his hair. He was washing his head. That's not the greatest time for me to be dealing with halakha questions. But what choice do I have? You brought the bechor. I want you to eat food on Yom Tov. He lowered his eyes. And he saw in the animal a blemish. 
but I didn't have time to interrogate and ask those sorts of questions. You called me before Yom Tov. I said, I hear the question. Let's discuss it on Yom Tov. I made my decision before Yom Tov, but I need to now, I need to now deal with some of the, the de- finer details. Amale zilha idna. Rava, in this story, much like Rabbi Ameh in the earlier story, t- told the individual, zil, go, ha'idna now. Vita, and come, meaning return, lemahar, come back tomorrow. He didn't tell him this decision. He didn't tell him that it is a ba'amum kiata lemahar when he came back the next day. Rava interrogated him. Amar, hechi hava'uvda. He said, what's the story? Hechi how hava'uvda was the story. In other words, what happened? Tell me how the animal developed this blemish. Amale hava shadyan sa'are behach gisa. Hach means this, gisa means side. Sa'are milashon se'orim, barley. He said there was barley on one side, dehusa, of a thorn uh, fence. So there's a thorn fence, and there's barley on one side, which of course his animal is interested in eating from. The hava'ihu, and my animal was bi'idach gisa, on the other side. So here's the thorn fence, here's the barley, and here's the animal. And the animal wanted to eat from that barley. It pushed its head in. And what happened was the lips of the animal were in turn slit by his sticking his head through the thorn fence in order to eat from that barley. Amarle Rava now continues the interrogation. Dilma, maybe, at garamtale, maybe you caused this. How would you have caused this? Maybe you put the barley there. Maybe this was all a setup. In other words, and the Gemara will explain to us how we know this would be a problem. Certainly, as Jeffrey said earlier, you're not allowed to hit your animal or punch your animal or do anything in order to cause directly the blemish. Apparently, and we're learning this from this story, on the side, Agav, you're not allowed to even cause the blemish. And in turn, he asked him, maybe you, not carelessly, maybe you purposefully, maybe you put the barley on that side, you walked it on this side, you saw a great opportunity, but indirect, and apparently that's going to be a problem. Amale, lo, he said, absolutely not. That's the end of that story. So pause, what's that? Apparently, and we're going to find out how we know this, it would be a problem. So, so the Gemara then, just to piece it together, why this is happening, and we'll understand that in a moment. So again, how's this happening? How are we determining? Why is this appearing in our Gemara? The Gemara was trying to adduce, to deduce from the fact that Rabbi Ameh and afterwards Rava didn't check it appeared, Mumin, before Yom Tov, that their opinion is you're not allowed to check before Yom Tov. And the Gemara indeed maintains that, but says they actually checked it before Yom Tov. They only asked the necessary questions right. on Yom Tov. Are you sure about that? Nathan, I'll, I'll give you a day in the rabbinate. Just listen to the question of people who have sketched themselves that something's permitted based on what they built. They want to, they want, and, and if anything, they say it's not on my head, it's on his head now. But anyway, especially, especially on money issues. Now, in terms of belief of the person, 
Rashi quotes from Mishnah and Masechet Bechorot that when it comes to a Yisrael, we believe the person. Yisrael has very little to lose. The Yisrael is donating this Bechor either way it goes. It's either to the Kohen and the Kohen's enjoying it entirely or to the Kohen and it's sacrificed and the Kohen's eating from it. We believe them if they say how it developed the blemish. The Kohen needs to bring two witnesses because the Kohen were a little bit more suspicious. This, your, it's true, you can hold on to it and let it, especially after the time of the Beit HaMikdash, you'll let it roam until it gets a blemish. But I don't want to wait 10 years until it gets a blemish. The Kohen has more of a reason to do this. That's why he needs to bring two witnesses. Very difficult to do. How this developed, it's, it's in turn a little difficult. Rashi says this story of Rava was with the Kohen. Uh, there is a different Gersa in the Gemara that he brought two witnesses. Yeah. He doesn't get, he's donating it to the Bechor. The Mishnah, it's an interesting point. No, so I quoted, I until, I until a few days ago was saying that through and through. Then a few days ago I discovered and realized the Mishnah, Rashi quoted from Masechet Bechorot and Daflamit Gimal says that Bet Hillel say that if there's a blemish, the Yisrael's allowed to eat from it as well. That's an interesting point. So if the Israel is allowed to eat from it as well, how can we distinguish between these two? All right, it needs to be, I mean, the Rashid's quoting the Mishnah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not proficient in the laws of Bechor, but look at the Mishnah. I'm saying the law right, maybe the rationale wrong. Rashid, three lines from the top, at the end of the line says, Kedetnan kol hamumin haru'uyin lavo bidei adam, ro'ei Yisrael ne'emanim, ro'ei kohanim en ne'emanim, v'sarich lavi'idim sheme'elav balo. And we have to look it up to get the exact reasoning. I thought it was, as I said, but you're right. My, my rationale's a little bit faulty. All right, says the Gemara now in the final lines. Now, now that we established that even if you don't directly cause the moon, but you just brought it about, you were a little indirect, you put the barley on one side, that that's a problem. asur. How do you know that by just indirectly causing, ligro means to cause, but not to directly harm the animal, it's also asur, it's going to be a problem, it's prohibited, and in turn the animal is not considered a balmum, detanya, as the beraita teaches us the following from the Pasuk in the Torah, Mum lo yihyeh bo. The Pasuk says that a sacrifice is not allowed to have a blemish. All I learned from those words is that it's not allowed to have a blemish. How do you know that in addition to it not having a blemish, it can't be a blemish which you caused, you can't bring it about. For example, that you don't bring dough or some sort of... Um, fig pie and place it on the ear of the animal what would your intent be so you put your animal out and it's got some sweet stuff on its ear of course the dog is going to come jump onto it and bite its ear off it's a great setup how do you know you're not allowed to do that Talmud Lomar that's what we learned from the specific word in the Pasuk Pasuk doesn't just say it says any blemish we learn from that kol mum amar mum ve'amar kol mum we learn from this that the word kol mum any blemish even if you indirectly cause that blemish no 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 again kol mum means that you can't you can't have any blemish on the animal as it's being sacrificed Maybe if it's, it has a moom in general, you can't sacrifice it. How do you know if it had a moom but it was 
but it was caused by a person as well. Kol Mum is teaching me that you're not allowed to cause. That extra Kol is teaching me that it's forbidden for me to cause it. If I were to cause it, it's not considered appropriate damage in this, uh, appropriate blemish. Uh, blemish. And so as a result, it's not, first and foremost, I caused, and it's, it's, it's an Isur, and secondly, it's not considered a Baal Mum. It's not a Baal Mum, uh, and, and, and I wouldn't be able to consume from the animal. What's that? So you can't produce it? I can't eat from it, at the very least. At the very least, I can't eat from it would be the Halakha answer. What is the What's that? He cannot. If it was caused by you, you cannot in turn eat from it. There's no benefit to be derived from it. And as a result, that would be the halakha.